Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, Black Belt Analytics... The Gateway is happy to have Will Johnson, a specialist director in Microsoft's cloud analytics global black belt team. Will helps Microsoft Azure customers build big data processing, machine learning, and MLOP solutions. In addition, he focuses on providing industry thought leadership for retail CPG customers, having worked with some of the largest retailers in the USA. He has a master's degree in predictive analytics from DePaul University and an undergraduate degree in marketing, where he has taught marketing analytics. Prior to working at Microsoft, Will was an analytics manager leading a team of analysts and data scientists in customer analytics. Will, welcome to the Gateway. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Russ. I appreciate it. Looking really looking forward to this conversation with you and Biagio. Oh, this is going to be a whole lot of fun. So I always like to start these conversations at the beginning. So give me just a, an understanding of, of really what you do, where you're yeah. at, where, how you got to where you are. Cause, yeah. uh, your, your, your bio is absolutely incredible. And I think, um, the, the reality can be a little bit different. So give me, give me some background. Sure. sure. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks Russ. Uh, so, so, Ultimately, right now, I'm, I'm working at Microsoft. I'm a director of cloud analytics, uh, also known as a, a specialist in our global black belt team. And I, I help you know, customers uh, from Microsoft figure out how to do large scale analytics in Microsoft's cloud called uh, Azure. And, and that's where I, I spend most of my time just digging into how do we take some you know, petabytes worth of data? How do we do this machine learning model? and put it into, into our cloud using, using our tools. Uh, in order to get there, ultimately, I had to start from doing the, the work, actually doing that analytics in my, in my previous job at a company called Uline, where I was leading a team of, of data scientists and analysts just focused on how do we even understand our data um, and how do we actually do some, some insights that, that provide value to leaders in our, in our company. And in order to get to there, I, I had to start from a, just an entry-level job at Uline where I was doing online ads, right? Just, just working in their online ads group, helping to define and write advertisements and uh, look at uh, clicks and, and impressions to determine what was, what was a good ad, what was a bad ad, where can we spend more money, where can we spend less money uh, to, to do that. So starting from that, from that ground up, that led me to this whole path in which I, I eventually now do awesome stuff with machine learning, with predictive analytics on a huge amount of scale uh, at Microsoft. And really it just started with, with that, that first job uh, and, and happened to do a lot of analysis work and, and found a great opportunity with some connections that helped me get into Microsoft as well. So Will, I, I, I want to I define this a little bit more for our listeners yeah. because I, I think some people... Um, I, I don't think they understand the reality. You, you're coming from what I would say is a traditional marketing background, mm -hmm. looking mm -hmm. at more of those ads and all that stuff. But now where you're at in your career, I would even say falls further into the computer science programming, yeah. all of that stuff. Many times those are those are two different areas, or at least when I'm working with people coming in, they're like, I want to do marketing because I don't want to do that. Yes. Stuff. yes. <laughs> How was that transition for you? And, and what did that look like? So I, I actually, um, I chose marketing as my undergraduate degree because my, my dad was an accountant and I hated accountancy. <laughs> so I, I knew I didn't want to do that. And I saw marketing as I get to be really creative. I get to think about, you know, positioning and, and understanding what the, the market demands are. And so I, I think I fell into that same loop. Uh, I, I wasn't great at statistics. I wasn't great at uh, I never took calculus except for the business calculus that I had to take in, or uh, yeah, business calc in um, in uh, undergraduate, mm -hmm. and and that was it. Uh, but I I do have a distinct memory 
of when I saw in, in one of my database marketing classes uh, where we started to learn about, you know, how do we use a database? How do we query it? How do we extract information? Just the, the bare bones so that you as a marketer could at least get your customer list and get some sales data out of a database. I, there was a distinct moment where I saw like a neural network for the first time, where I saw the multi-layer perceptron, which was, hey, here's, you know, you have an X, a Y, and a Z input, and it goes into this one function, it goes into this one algorithm, and then out comes the prediction that this customer is going to leave or not. And I, 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 can, I can see that picture in my head and that moment where I'm sitting in the classroom looking at it in the book, and, and I just thought about, I want to be on this path. I want to understand what this is and how this works. And so I didn't, I didn't follow up on that, right? I didn't go to a, you know, a master's program right away. I had to start working. I had to start earning money for my family that I was starting. And, and so, okay, great, get a job, go out and do some stuff. I was very fortunate to land in a role that still let me be analytical, right? Where I could mm -hmm. look at uh, some numbers, start to learn how to interpret these values. Because school taught me some of those things, but never to the same extent you get uh, in, in the real world. And so I, I was very fortunate to, to be supported really well early on in my career. And, and I had leaders who, who looked, in, that looked at me and said, hey, this guy this guy's coming up with some good insights. He's looking at those numbers and he is uh, maybe, you know, his numbers aren't always right, but he's, he's trying really hard and he's trying to uh, bring up novel insights that we hadn't thought about before. Maybe let's throw him another project. Let's, let's shape him and mold him a little more towards that analytic side, because that is, in all honesty, a, a better paying role and a more in-demand role than, hey, I want to be a creative or, hey, I want to be, you know, just an SEO person in marketing, uh, being the, the numbers person and actually saying the work that you as an SEO are doing is valuable or not valuable tends to be a, a better opportunity in the marketing space. And then, and then it just kept going from there. Then I, then I eventually said, I'm going to finally catch up and go back to that neural network. I really want to understand it because there's only so much I can do with an Excel spreadsheet with Google analytics. There's more here, right? There's more I can do with that database that I learned about. Uh, and so going for my, my master's at DePaul university and, and actually learning about these concepts and tools and being forced to actually use Python to use R and learn it from the ground up, just then set me off on the rest of my career journey where, where I started using those tools, bringing back better insights and eventually joining Microsoft to, to help other customers who are earlier in their journey do that same exact sort of thing, um, just hopefully at an accelerated pace and, and on the Microsoft <laughs> cloud as well, right? <laughs> yeah, so here, here's where I, I'm absolutely blown away by specifically what Microsoft is doing within analytics and all that stuff. And, and I think, um, I think it was done without being a part of Microsoft, but I think it was done very intentionally. Um, Microsoft's flight simulator as ah. a video game is probably the, to me, one of the greatest images or, or or concepts to say this is what we can do with data and literally recreating the earth and allowing us to go everywhere is to you as, as someone kind of looking in these ones is that what you're trying to do for your customers within here and basically saying no we can look at literally absolutely everything so that we can get you as much insight as possible when it comes to uh metaphorically speaking the a shift in the wind or weather or time right, right. or day or things like that is that kind of where you're coming from then yeah so one of the one of the challenges that that we have uh, working with customers is that they, the, uh, the customers, you know, businesses have an insatiable desire for that kind of data. And we, we make that available, right? There is open data sets that we have for weather information. We make it easier for you to get access to certain things, but we don't give you everything, right? So we're not, a, we're a platform company as Microsoft likes to say. And so we're going to help you build a platform for your applications, for your data science models. But we're not going to be selling like LinkedIn wholesale data, right? We're not okay. going to be selling GitHub wholesale data, right? Though that information is like locked behind our, our environment. And, and we 
believe that by not selling this information, we're doing better service for those products, right? It, where, you know, your data on LinkedIn, uh, your data on GitHub, your data on whatever other products is, mm -hmm. is your data. And so that kind of differentiates us from other, you know, cloud providers where uh, they'll come in and they'll say, yeah, we, we you know, we're going to give you access to some secret under the hood data that, that only we have access to. And that's, that's awesome that they can do that. That's awesome that they can do it. But from our perspective on Microsoft side, you know, that's, that's again, levels of privacy and transparency that we don't want to do a disservice to our, our customers on our other products, right? Uh, I but I, I will say the big, the big value add for, for Microsoft is that we want to make sure that AI is embedded into your products, right? I just, uh, I was just recently thinking about this where, you know, a flight simulator is a great example. There's AI up the yin yang in that, mm -hmm. in that product, right? It is mm -hmm. bringing in all sorts of data, combining sorts of all sorts of different data points, and then you know simulating out. Xbox games. There's a loads of AI actually being done inside of there mm -hmm. in order to to facilitate you know the the gameplay. Like um, what is it? Uh, Forza, I believe, yeah. just recently yeah. did. Yeah, they they have such a, an amazing AI system built into it. Uh, the things that they had to do for um, you know other other games, incredible stuff. But the, the key part is that it's almost invisible to the user sometimes, right? right. Unless, unless it's explicitly made available. And so that's what I think how, how Microsoft approaches is that even in like the, the as lame as it is, the, the Microsoft Office suite, right? There's mm -hmm. a boatload of AI in there and you just don't even see it, right? It, it goes, it kind of blends into the product that, and that's the kind of a approach that Microsoft tends to bring to the table is that let's build capabilities that allow you to weave artificial intelligence into your product, make your product smarter, make your application smarter. And then, and then awesome, you have a smart product and it's not like the, the customer's being hit over the head with, hey, look at this shiny AI model that you're using. No, it's mm -hmm. look at this experience that you have and look at how much more productive you can be given these capabilities that, that you know, we're providing you at that point. So that, that's kind of the flow is, is make intelligent, uh, machine learning models available and then help you weave it into your products so that it's like it's like just a, another superpower that your product has available to it. Well, Will, I want to <laughs> jump into this and again, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I think I think your whole career like in part is, is inspiring for many of our listeners, especially the NIU student, right? You started as a mar marketing student at NIU you were intimidated by calculus and you know statistics and encoding and and you kind of show that you know you, you doesn't matter where you start it matters where yeah. you arrive and you shouldn't prevent yourself for trying and saying i'm not good at coding i'm not good at computer right uh, just because that's your first perception right you you can make it uh up to becoming a cloud director <laughs> at microsoft right so my question for you is, you know, most of the time I, we have buzzwords in our world, like AI, cloud uh, computing and stuff like that is, can you kind of clarify? And, and yeah. I know that's, you know, cloud is very important. Cloud computing is extremely important, especially because, you know, without it, you have to have physical server and exactly. you know, all the company can, can afford that. But can you make it like more tangible uh, yeah. for our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the, the way I think of it as, um, you know, if I'm if I am a analyst or if I'm a marketer and I'm sitting on my personal machine, I'm limited to what I have uh, I have access to. Right, I've got access to the internet, so sweet. I can do a lot of a lot of cool things. But if I want to do some sort of like number crunching, um, I'm limited to what I can do, say in in Excel, a spreadsheet, or you know whatever other tool you're using. And and then uh, if I if I don't know how to you know do even advanced Excel functions, I'm limited to copying, pasting stuff, typing things in by hand. And so that, that is a huge drain on my time, right? Uh, that is, a, uh, I literally only have time in my life, right? I, you know, money and, and uh, people will come and go, but, but time is a finite resource that you will never get back at this point in time. So, so having a, a perspective of, I you know, have a limited time in my life and I wanna use it on things that I enjoy, kind of gives me the motivation to say, okay, I've got Excel in front of me. What can I do with this? Okay, I can, I can you know, do, uh, you know, uh, some copy with formulaic programs, right? I can do 
some macros, let's say, I can start building on the tools that I have available. However, that gets me only so far because, you know, Excel, let's say, has a million row limit or something like that. Um, sometimes it gets to be very cumbersome. I've got a lot of spreadsheets. So I need to start thinking about how do I use something that's, you know, going to be, again, more efficient use of my time. And so I can build something with a small Python program. So Python being a programming language, a very common one to, for people to start with, lets me just take in an Excel spreadsheet or a, a text file, and I can do the exact same things I was doing in Excel just now in a, in a programmatic way where I'm writing out an, an algorithm, a recipe that says, you know, take this row of data, concatenate two values together, and then spit it out into this extra column. I can do all of that programmatically through, through Python uh, or another programming language. So that, that again, I'm, I'm still stuck to my machine, my computer. So mm -hmm. when I start to say, oh my gosh, you know, I need to do this at, at you know, a larger scale. I can, I, um, I have maybe 10,000 Excel spreadsheets. I, I work for a large company. Uh, we're going to be doing some sort of mass update of some files. And I've got to do this same recipe, the same algorithm on 10,000 spreadsheets. Okay, um, well, now I could look at parallel processing that I can use multiple, um, you know, resources on my computer. But again, maybe, maybe it's a small computer, maybe I don't have a lot. That's where the, the cloud starts to come in place, because I can, I can, quote unquote, scale out to whatever level I need, so that I can finish the job for the in the right amount of time for the right price as well. So let's say I desperately needed to have these 10,000 files processed. I can then go to a cloud provider like Microsoft Azure, and I can say, give me a machine that can run this data in parallel uh, for you know, uh, a thousand documents at a time. And so those documents, I, I send them up to the cloud. I run my program in Python on these documents. All 1,000 are being ran in parallel. They get done. It pulls down the next 1,000, and then the next 1,000, and the next 1,000. Great. After some amount of time, uh, it finishes and it finishes a lot faster than if I were ran uh, on my personal machine. Uh, but even still, like I could have chosen to run all 10,000 in parallel. Then it might become more expensive though. It might be, you know, maybe hundreds of dollars to run all those things in parallel uh, for all 10,000. Uh, so I need to make a choice between, do I want this done in a minute and pay more? Or do I want this done over, you know, 10 minutes and pay a little bit less? Uh, that, that cost calculation comes into play. And that's one of the sciences behind choosing when to use the cloud versus your local machine. Uh, so so that's, that's the big choices in, in using the cloud. And then, and then you also have the advantage of the cloud has made it easier to do things like machine learning without having to, to know much about machine learning and artificial intelligence. So I can take advantage of you know, great minds at Microsoft Research. Uh, same thing with Google and Amazon. They've got great researchers as well. Uh, but, but in in any case, these cloud providers are are making available these algorithms that are already available to you to you know do facial recognition, to be able to summarize an entire document down into a couple paragraphs, to extract out key phrases and uh, you know dates and times out of a document so that you don't have to search through them, so that you don't have to, you know, look at a person's face and say, you know, that's, that's Biagio, that's Russ. Mm -hmm. It can just detect that, find the similar faces, and then organize these, these uh, photos and, and files for you. So you get to take advantage of all of that research and all that effort to build these advanced machine learning capabilities without ever having to write a line of Python code other than to call that API. So, so you're, impact as a analyst or as a marketer or as a financial analyst can be greatly magnified by learning a little bit of programming, by knowing when to use somebody else's code, when to use somebody else's tools like in the cloud. And you can save a lot of your own time at a little bit of cost, right? Because you know nothing's free unless you build it, but that's the cost is your time. Uh, and so that would be that'd be the the, the value at prop for for the cloud is that scale and then taking advantage of that research that has already been done in the machine learning space for making your life and your products better. Yeah, th thank you for this. And, and I think one, I mean, I mean, you mentioned if you work for a large corporation and you have these 10,000 documents, but yeah. 
it actually can happen even if you work for a small one or if you're a student <laughs> for the PhD. Because I remember <laughs> I was trying to run some text mining on millions of reviews and my computer was stuck for a week. <laughs> couldn't do anything else. And then I say, okay, that's not the right way of doing it. And, the, and then LSU, we had a supercomputer. So I was able to, to nice. run it over there. Nice. Uh, but yeah, I think the number one point is the fact that before having cloud computing, you had to have physical server if you want to analyze that large amount of data, just because it's it's not possible on your computer, mm -hmm. like unless you don't want to use it for a week or a month and sometimes can crash. And uh, that's a different story, right? But right. it is you can use those resources when you need them, right? Yes. So there might be some period of the year where you have a lot of demand. So you have more data to analyze. In period of the, the year, you have less. So based on what you need, you allocate resources to the exactly out and and the other aspect as you were saying is and, and i have a follow-up question on that is that if you know a little bit of knowledge in coding and you know you how to use api you can leverage other people work so you don't have to become yes. an expert in building your own algorithm but you can leverage what is already existing so like if i have to make it tangible uh what kind of skills do you need to kind of go around this and be able to, to, yeah. to use the Microsoft resources? Honestly, the, there's, there's nothing that beats um, just having the curiosity and, and the willingness to try. Uh, that's, that's first and foremost, because the, we're often saying here in, in the field that we are looking at, um, hey, nothing, nothing is impossible in, in code, right? You can do anything that you want if you have the, the willingness to build and, and develop something. So the first one is just that curiosity and, and willingness to try and, and be uh, okay with failing because you're gonna, you're gonna run a program, you're gonna see that it's going to crash and you, hopefully you don't get discouraged and you, you try again because again, there's a low cost to trying again. You just change a line of code and it goes. So, so that, that's the big one, the meta skill. But then going to something more, more tactical, definitely being comfortable with a tool like Python. And, and you can pick up that skill from anywhere, right? There's, there's courses at your university, there's courses on Coursera and any other place uh, that you can just pick up these, these basic skills. Pick up, go uh, to your library, pick up the book, um, Automate the Boring Stuff. It's, it's an awesome book for just learning the skill. Once, once you have Python to a suitable level where you can, you can start feeling comfortable, at, you, then, then it's a matter of, uh, going and finding the, the tool that you want to use. So for example, let's take face detection. Maybe you want to, um, you've got a bunch of photo, family photos and you're not using, you know, like um, a, a cloud provider that already does face detection. So you're going to do it yourself. You could, you know, read a book and, and learn that algorithm um, and try to do it yourself. Or you could use one of the cloud providers and say, hey, I'm just going to go uh, detect all the faces in my family photos and have them organized by different different groups of people. So then it becomes, I need to be able to read and understand a documentation page. And again, this is, this is a very uh, like just <laughs> tactical and, and not a very fun, like I can go learn this in a, in a night, but it's just a matter of let's, let's go read and understand and try to parse what a, um, has been made available out there because I need to be able to quickly learn this this tool and, and quickly know hey what's a quick start for this what is a tutorial for this and and attempt to put that together because once you've done that you then have a working prototype and you can start iterating on that prototype by, by again just changing a couple lines of code seeing what happens inside of there but it, it all starts with i need to be able to read and follow the instructions of some documentation page and and then great you have a working prototype, you can iterate a little bit, change a couple lines of code, see what happens. And then uh, once, once you're at that point, the world is your oyster because you can just, you know, now I want to move this data into some database. All right, I just need to learn the, the Python software development kit for that particular tool. And great, here's a quick start. And how do I go beyond the quick start? What documentation page do I need to read at that point? Honestly, that's that's as the as simple as you can get, right? It's just being able to use a tool like Python or some other programming language and then feeling comfortable reading into the documentation pages because it's got the answers for you. It's just a matter of putting in the time and willingness to 
to parse through what somebody else thought was a good doc or was a good uh, tutorial uh, when you might have additional questions and having that that perseverance to keep going and keep trying uh, even if it's you know one o'clock in the morning and you're you're hacking away at this uh, for the past five hours uh, having that perseverance is is really the skill that it takes sometimes in technology to be to be highly successful I think yeah I I, I totally agree I I teach R, I don't teach Python, but <laughs> if you know how to use the help button and read the documentation yes. of every function, and then you really understand the different arguments, what they do, you don't need to memorize code. You just understand exactly. what's happening. And, but you know, learning from somebody in the industry is much better than learning from a professor. They, they <laughs> more than us. So thank you for that. <laughs> So Will, as you're as you're talking about these, I would say cultural shifts within technology, because I mean cloud computing is, I would still even say in in the earlier parts of of its existence and what it can do. Uh, when I'm thinking of those things and I'm thinking of the changes that that can come with it and the capabilities that we're developing as a humanity uh what does it look like in a world when someone may have access to microsoft's cloud mm -hmm. or amazon's or google's but then there are other things or other projects people organizations that might not be able to are, are we potentially setting up uh, a, a kind of an inequity within this stuff that certain certain projects yeah. or people with with money basically can access this stuff and I, I'm, I'm specifically thinking within uh, healthcare and and mm -hmm. within research that hey if 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 this very small um, disease that that maybe uh, attacks some of the traditionally yeah. lesser affluent countries, they don't have access to it, but other ones, you know, uh, like ED and things like that mm -hmm. get a lot mm -hmm. more because it's a westernized disease and we can right. throw that stuff at it. How do we balance that? Because when we take this cloud computing 20 years in the future, I think that will absolutely revolutionize everyone's life and, and maybe separate uh, people even more than what we're experiencing now? Or is that, yeah. or, or am I just thinking of a dystopian world that, that probably won't exist? <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I think, no, Russ, I think you're, you're bringing up something really important because for, for example, uh, there's, there's a large amount of Microsoft and Amazon and Google data centers in you know, Western Europe and North America, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and as a result, you've got access to this. You have low latency. You can, you can you know, use our tools at extremely fast clip because the data center is, you know, for us, right outside of Chicago or yep. it's right outside of Seattle. Great. Uh, my, my, my commands are happening lightning fast. But say if you are in Chile or if you're in Argentina or if you are in, you know, New Zealand, well, crap, you're, you're, uh, sorry for swearing, but uh, uh, if you're, if you are, you know, you're going over an ocean or you're going over a canal, you're going over a long distance. So everything you do in that cloud is now taking a lot longer and, and possibly more expensive as well. So as a result, yes, I think there is a, there's a risk that by, you know, the developed world becomes even more developed and takes mm -hmm. advantage of these, you know, planetary scale uh, compute that's available to them. Mm -hmm. But however, I think for, um, I think there's direction towards this, right? Uh, first off, there's competitive forces will, will continue to drive prices down, right? So we, I think as a consumer, we want Amazon and Google and Microsoft to all be there and to compete. DigitalOcean is another cloud provider. We want more competition as consumers so mm. that cloud prices continue to decrease. And they have been over time, they, they continue to, to go down, which is good. Mm -hmm. Secondly, though, for, for developing world or for, I, I don't think that's a really good phrase, but for mm -hmm. other, other countries that, are, uh, that don't have access to these large data centers and access to that Microsoft research or Google research, the good news is that People, like companies like Microsoft are starting to invest there. For example, in 2019, Microsoft opened up the first data center uh, for Azure, our cloud provider, inside of Africa. 
And so that's awesome, right? That means that the, the folks there's um, just a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, um, there was a group in Africa that started a, like a, a research colloquium for artificial intelligence to emphasize uh, AI in Africa, AI research in Africa. And so that's awesome because now those researchers and those developers can take advantage of all the GPUs, the graphical processing units that are, that are critical for advanced research in artificial intelligence that are just sitting there now in the data center in Azure. Mm -hmm. and, and so that's gonna force Amazon, that's gonna force Google to come in there and compete for those same dollars, which is uh, you know, not great for me as a Microsoft employee and a shareholder, <laughs> but great as a consumer and a citizen of the world. I'm, I'm so excited for that because we can unlock the talent and, and brains of, of people in that continent and, and get, uh, take advantage of, of what they're producing and what research they're uh, contributing to the world as well. Uh, so, so yeah, that's where we need to have uh, number one, economic drivers that encourages mm -hmm. companies like Microsoft, Google, and Amazon to bring data centers and our research to those, uh, those countries in the world. And then, and then secondly, we need, we need you know, researchers and academics and businesses to start demanding those things, right? Because if, mm -hmm. they're, if they're saying, we want this, we want this, and you know, we've got you know, dollars to spend here, then companies like that start paying more attention. And, and that's what we need to do. So, so being able to you know, contribute to research funds that are, that are happening or grant programs that are happening for AI in Africa, AI in South America, that can only increase the or uh, accelerate the the equity the the that we're, we can build in, in those parts of the world as well. I, th I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I also expect like the pricing of those resources to be different, right? Yes, yes, very <laughs> much so. Very, it's going to be more accessible, like based yes. on you know, the okay, exactly right. And and again, that's where economies of scales come into play. Um, mm -hmm. I. I don't know how much I can tell you guys about this one, but uh, Microsoft has different kinds of data centers, right? We've got, let's just say small, medium, large, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so in Seattle, obviously it's a large. In Chicago, large. New York City around there, large. In like, uh, you know, South Africa right now, maybe maybe small, medium, just because the economies uh, aren't there, right? In terms of mm -hmm. the, the demand, we have to build the demand. We have to have, the right amount of um, you know, expected utilization of those resources to consider the investment, right? Because Microsoft is still a publicly traded company and needs mm -hmm. to, to you know, maximize shareholder value, as they always say. So that, that has to come into play too, which is where I think, again, in the academic community, helping to support grants that are, that are bringing like, you know, advanced AI uh, programs down there is, is a huge thing that we can do uh, and, and again, as consumers, we can, we can support that sort of stuff as well to, to again, hopefully drive that equality uh, higher in, in those areas. So will along, along with this, this element of societal change or, or at least um, embeddedness, uh, I'll make that word up. Um, but when, when we start looking at the amount of data that that we have access to which is which is real uh which is based on behavioral elements that a real person is doing do you do you like that world that we're heading to mm. um and not even just in privacy not even just just thinking about hey will i i know what you're going to do before you even right. do that uh, again is, is this easy to fall within a, a science fiction dystopia or, or or are these things that are being considered or should be considered right. or just kind of keep going and see what happens <laughs> well well that's it that's a great question, Russ. Uh, I, I think I think I I have I am of two minds on this. And the the, the okay. first is uh, I'm I'm very fortunate that I get to see how the sausage is made, and I uh, am glad that we are very very far away from general artificial intelligence. Like like we are we are so far away from it. I don't think it matters what Elon Musk says. Uh, <laughs> we are extremely far away from from that kind of state, right? Um, so, so 
that's good news, right? We're mm -hmm. not going to have some supercomputer, nor are we going to have enough algorithms uh, and, and artificial intelligence applications that will, will know my every single move. Mm -hmm. that's, that's good to, to some degree. However, uh, there was a Wired Magazine article that, that emphasized there are, there are some programs used by like the city of Chicago, actually, where they have uh, this essentially this huge dragnet across these CCTV um, uh, uh, cameras mm -hmm. that are collecting all this data. And, and the face for, facial recognition allows them to see a person, see some driver's license, I'm sorry, see some uh, uh, driver uh, license plates that, that will allow them to then pull up um, a rap sheet on some individual, you know, is it, do they have necessarily a warrant to be pulling this up? I don't know. I don't know exactly how that that sort of piece works, but that that is available today. So they have the potential to collect large and vast amounts of data, um, and that that's is scary, right? It mean, but it means that individuals have had to build those individual capabilities and combine them into a system. the The good news is that cloud providers like Microsoft recognize that this is a scary world. Uh, and so for example, with, with Microsoft, I can speak to, uh, we require people who are going to use like our facial detection API to uh, agree to some additional terms of use. For example, you cannot be a police department using uh, our, our facial recognition service, right? For the, the, the means that like we described the Chicago Police Department. And mm -hmm. so, so we are, taking additional steps to ensure that that dystopian future is further and further removed. Ideally, we have legislation from the, you know, the United States government and other, other uh, entities like the European Union that, that tell us explicitly what should be done. But mm -hmm. right now, uh, it seems like there's a, a lack of um, desire to legislate for artificial intelligence. And, and that's, I think, a detriment to us as a society. And it puts Microsoft and Google and AWS in a position where they got to make it up. And, and Microsoft is going to do it one way. Google's probably going to do it another way. And it'll all be kind of similar. But, but uh, as a result, you know, we're still going to work with you know, the United States government and the army to develop things with our HoloLens. Uh, we're, uh, Google's still going to work for, you know, with other, other providers um, for other means of of working with armies and and you know nation states as well so that i i think we're far away from something like terribly dystopic however mm -hmm. we we certainly need to have better safeguards and that's what again we as citizens need to emphasize and especially as, as citizens that work in technology uh we need to put our foot forward uh our voices and our hands up to say hey we need to do something about this um, because I don't think there's, there's some folks in, in, in the government that are, that are thinking about it right now, or at least they're not legislating on it. Uh, and if I can jump into this, I think, I think that's a very important point and very underestimated, especially between young people. Like many of the times when you use digital devices or install application, you are agreeing on sharing yeah. data and stuff like that and while those applications are free you they are cool to be used like at times you are like providing people and you know access to your data and what you're doing so that's why they know i don't know what your next purchase is gonna be or they were talking about you know alexa listening to you while you conversate at home and stuff like that right mm -hmm. all this can be easily becoming what us was anticipating so we we need to be kind of careful on you know do we really need that application or what application data or what data that application is tracking about me and don't just like lie heartily, just go and say, oh yeah, download exactly. cool and let's use this and let's share this and let's share that, right? It's, it's also up to us until it's kind of regulated yeah. uh, because, you know, there are, they're going to sell those data. Data is the new money and yeah. In, you know, some people are going to use it for the good, some people are going to use it for the bad, but they definitely know way more than what they knew about my grandmother or what they still yes. know. They still yes. know about my grandmother, right? <laughs> yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, that's also partly on us and hope this, this kind of conversation help everybody to, to realize that. I think the, the phrase, if the product is 
free, then you are the product really rings <laughs> true. Um, mm -hmm. for, and I think, I think everyone who's, who's on Instagram uh, and um, WhatsApp, you know, you're, yeah, you're not paying for it, but, but what, what is the real cost? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's where, again, I'm, I'm very thankful that I get to be a member of Microsoft and, and I get to see us as a platform company taking this really seriously. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, and so ensuring that, that people on our platform are safe, their data is safe. They have, you know, uh, as, as much insight into how it's being used and how, how we emphasize that we are not using your data to train our products or to build our products on, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that's, that's awesome. But, but at the same time, I just, it being in technology makes me want to use technology less uh, because, because mm -hmm. we are, we're pushing towards that space where like, uh, everything is being recorded and, and I don't have as much trust in the, the transparency of other providers and of other platforms because they, they legally, they don't have to be as transparent in some cases, right? Um, and so I just don't want my data out there. And I don't live in the European Union, so I don't get the advantage of GDPR. I don't live in California, so I don't get the advantage of CCPA. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of stuck. Um, and, and so that's why I would minimize, like, I'll never get a smart toaster or I'll never get a smart mm -hmm. fridge. Um, like, holy crud. And uh, I don't want subscription fees for, for certain things, right? Like, like dispensing ice on a smart fridge. Oh my God. If I had to turn that feature on, uh, I would just be so, so mad. And, and I'd be mad that they'd be keeping track of how much ice that I use in my, in my uh, water. Right. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that, <laughs> that'd be my, own dystopic version, Russ, where I don't, I don't want people keeping track of me and it's possible today. So limit it. If I could live in a cabin by the woods and still have access to the internet and do my job. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome. That'd be super, super cool. Interesting. That is, that's a very interesting comment. Well, uh, so, so then I, I want to pivot into maybe a, a little bit more of a positive uh, <laughs> side of the stuff. Cause, cause it, it is I, I just like everything there, there's, there's the yin and the yang of this stuff. And, and I think there's a lot of really, po really positive potential outcomes of, of the work that all of these companies and organizations are doing and, and will you're included in that. Um, is there something right now that you would like to be able to do, but we don't have the computing power, power, the the technology, something like that. Is there something that you're like, this would be really cool? And, and again, even if it goes into the sci-fi fantasy realm, but but maybe you'd like to be able to see in the future at, at the end of our lives or yeah, something nice, like that. Nice. <laughs> well, I, I think uh I think the 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 biggest part right now is is that there's ai helps us have superpowers right it, it gives us the ability to to do really cool things at a really fast pace and at a high scale as well so but that doesn't stop us from you know being the change we want to see in the world right mm -hmm. um so so the the first thing that i would say to anyone listening is that if if you want to change something like don't wait for technology to to be there right um, even, even in, in the workplace, right. If mm. you don't have to wait for, um, some, somebody to write an application, a program to, to do something in an automated way, you know, you've got, you've got, uh, the ability to hopefully, uh, input some data, uh, learn, learn some programming, do some brute force algorithm that, that just gets it done. Maybe not in the most elegant way, but, mm -hmm. but you can get it done. Same thing for, for changing the world today is, you know, one vote, two get out there and, and, you know, uh, do some volunteering, like go and be part of your community. I think that is probably something that we don't do very much as a society in the United States, at least anymore. Um, and, and I think we, we need to get back to that to some degree. So, but with, with respect to the AI side of it though, that's, that's where we can get some really, really cool stuff. Uh, I think for, for me, the, the, some things that we can do technically today is, is actually just identify areas of inequity. Um, mm. and, and that becomes uh, a, a bit of a dragnet still where, where I'm going to you know, scan a bunch of different plots of land in my town and then look at satellite images, combine that with some census data, and then be able to say, what are the attributes of, of an inequitable area? And then, mm. and then great, we, we discover that. We did, like, I live around Kenosha, Wisconsin area. So, you know, taking the satellite imagery, which we have available, taking the census data, which we have available, mashing it together, f 
finding based on the satellite imagery of saying, hey, there's a boatload of parking lots here. There's a boatload of, you know, like, again, as a bad example, liquor stores, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a, a lack of grocery stores. Um, these, these factors combined identify, you know, with a very basic, uh, like linear regression or logistic regression, that this is the key factors of an inequitable neighborhood, a place that has, you know, a, uh, you know, low income, uh, high crime rate, let's say, okay, we identify those factors. And that's awesome. That, that's the first part. We still need to take action on it, though. And that's, that's where it gets harder, is that mm -hmm. I, as a data scientist, I could go do that. Um, there's, there's been great stories within Microsoft about how people have used a publicly available data to, to do something amazing. Like, for example, one guy found his car, right? He found his car that was stolen uh, <laughs> based on CCTV, right? And that was made available publicly in Seattle. So mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, a, another guy, Mark Hamilton, did this amazing work with um, the one of the, the art museums in uh, New York City. And he, he found these amazing relationships between different cultures and uh, different art styles. But by just using um, some deep learning, he was able to find that, hey, these, these particular early works were perhaps related to in color or style or texture. Mm to things later on in history. And, and there's a story perhaps behind how these things are related. So, so having that data is totally possible today, but then it becomes taking action on it with respect to now that I found the factors, I've got to go to the Kenosha mayor. I've got to go to my, my mm. uh, councilman and say, look at this data, look at, and here's the story. Here's the story of how one individual is affected in this community. And if we changed this one or two things, like you know, put in a bike lane, added a bus route, be able to, um, you know, add in a, cor a corner grocery store that provides healthy food options, we would solve these sorts of problems and raise this neighborhood's uh, equality, raise this neighborhood's equity, and, and be able to, to have better outcomes for these people's lives. So the data and the AI is, is the really, really cool part, and it's a lot of fun, but I think it's only a quarter or maybe maybe generously half the story. You still need to have the, the people side of it and then the, the action that you can take because the an AI won't solve the problem. It'll just highlight what's going on. It gives you the ability to find patterns and, and insight, but it doesn't actually solve the problem. Still, people need to solve that problem, I think. Well, uh, that was, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I was able to experience this conversation with you because, I, I, again, I think more of these conversations need to be happening. And I'm, I'm again, very grateful that you were willing to to share your time with us. And I want to end on um, one one easy question, hopefully, okay. uh, for for all of all of our listeners and and for anyone coming who may be starting their career, maybe someone who's thinking of shifting towards this in their career. What's just some some general advice you would you would give someone trying to get into maybe not even full on being you know part of the black belt team but uh, yeah, nice. something along this this area that that would help them so when when it comes to technology and, and just in general careers i think it it starts off with um, don't don't fall into the passion idea right don't fall into the fact that my career has to be my passion uh, you you will develop interest in a in a career uh, once you do something, honestly, for, for a long period of time, and, and you start finding ways to be creative, autonomous, and, and develop mastery in it, right? There's, there's a great book uh, called Drive, where it, it highlights these, these ideas. Um, and so I, I would look for a career that, that, or opportunities that lets you work on something that you're at least tangentially interested in, right? You don't have to make this, again, your passion project but it should be an area that, that you like coming to, to work to. Then once you're there, it becomes uh, finding opportunities to work on the cutting edge. Uh, another book called uh, So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport emphasizes that you need to be working on the cutting edge because that allows you to be uh, you know, autonomous. That allows you to be creative. It allows you to be the expert. And so more people come to you and they start asking you questions and that, that only drives you further because you, again, you get more opportunities to show how you're an expert, 
uh, more opportunities to to work with more people and and your network builds. Mm -hmm. So so work work on that cutting edge. If that's for like again marketing, that's my my background. It would be you know working on the cutting edge of the Google Ads platform. Cut, working on um, you know hey we've got a big problem with cookies coming up where they will in theory the uh, Google Chrome browser will disappear from that. So we we need to have some solutions. How do you solve those problems? Oftentimes it comes with technology, right? Because it just makes things easier, but, but work on that cutting edge. Um, then, then again, as people start coming to you, you are the expert, you know it, then it becomes, let's, let's build that uh, you know, set of sponsors. Find somebody in your organization that is going to sponsor you. When, when that time for promotions or bonuses or you know, career planning comes up, you have people in the room that know your work that have received benefit from your work and then are willing to use their political capital to say, yeah, that, that Russ, that Biagio, they're great guys. We need them to, to retain them and to promote them further and give them more opportunities. Those, those are the big things that have, that have honestly driven my career is, is just finding a great sponsor and, and finding opportunities where I can be the expert and people come to me uh, because I'm working on the cutting edge that solves their problems. And it's it's valuable for them. Uh, so so I would only emphasize that you can do that in any any domain, whether it's marketing, finance, uh, HR, technology. Find that area you can be on the cutting edge, and find the sponsors in your organization, and and help them so that they can help you in the long run. Will that. That was absolutely perfect. I, I I love every bit of your advice. Again, thank you so much for for being a guest on the Gateway. Thank you for your time and sharing your your expertise and wisdom with us. I, I'm I'm incredibly grateful. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Biagio. I really appreciate the opportunity to to speak with you guys and, and share share these experiences and what's going on with Microsoft uh, with, with the Gateway team. Perfect. Thanks so much. Have a good rest of your day. Take care. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening. And remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.